hello, dear listeners. It is me, once again, the most beautiful Hi, How Are You host, Chava. It is going to be just me and my guest on the show today for part three of our series on Hasidism, which we hope you have been enjoying. Today, I have with me Lex Rofberg, who you probably know from Judaism Unbound, because if you listen to our show, there's a good chance you listen to his show. But also, you probably know from our crossover episode, Chai Judaism, How Unbound Are You? If you haven't heard that one, go back and give it a listen. Lex is here more today in an individual capacity than a podcasting capacity. And we're going to dive into some discussion of neo-Hasidism. But first, Lex, hi, how are you? Thank you so much for asking. Thank you so much for asking. First off, uh, thank you for that intro. Loved the crossover. It was very, very fun. I am good. I am soaking into this new year of ours that we're beginning, mm-hmm. wrestling with the fact that it's not really summer anymore. That's a bummer. I'm loving that fact. So I guess we're like on very opposite wavelengths. Definitely different wavelengths or waveforms as this is an audio <laughs> modality. How was your Rosh Hashanah? Did you do anything? I did some wonderful things. I was at actually a Shalem event, a two mm-hmm. Shalem event, Shalem being the Providence lefty group that we are both part of that does Jewish mm-hmm. things. I went to an evening service that was really lovely. And I went to a Tashlich service where we transmitted our sins into Cheerios and threw those into <laughs> water. I brought Cheerios because bread is not great for fish, as it turns out. Cheerios are much better. But Cheerios better. are better? Yeah. Wow. And they're also, you know, I, I was thinking up symbolism for like, ah, it's like a circle and like mm-hmm. we're starting a new year and cyclical uh, and like Cheerios, like trying to bring some joy. I don't know. Like uh, I was playing Yeah, I feel like there's also something here about like the Luchot, like about the tablets mm. and the O with the floating you know, like part in it, the Mim Sophie. I don't know if you know that, Drosh. That the letters were like... Fully see-through. In the correct way on viewing from both sides of the tablet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, High Holidays has been weird for me this year. I was telling a Chavruta the other day that oftentimes High Holidays feels like a birth for me, like birthing me into a new year. But this year, I like don't... I'm not ready to be born... (laughs) Yet it's like I'm still in the cocoon, so I haven't really felt very connected to the whole Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah cycle. I'm hoping the inspiration hits me for Sukkot, but we'll see about that. Yesterday, I recorded with our mutual friend Abe, whose episode oh. is going to come out a week after this one, but we recorded a whole episode about X Men that turned out really excellent. Abraham Avinu. No, Abraham, our friend, <laughs> not our father. Abraham, our bro new. Yeah, Providence representing on Hi, How Are You? We love to see it. That's right. We love to see it. So, dear Lex, I invited you here today because, as you may know, we've been doing a series on Hasidism on the show. And in the past two episodes, we basically covered the full history of, like, from Second Temple to now, how did Hasidism mm. come into existence? Learned about some great stuff, learned about some Jew castles, some castles we had oh. at one point, which I did not know about. That's fun. Yeah, right. And all that stuff. But I invited you to talk about neo-Hasidism, which felt like sort of the logical next step in this series, because mm-hmm. you last year were ordained as a rabbi in the Renewal Movement, mm-hmm. which for those of you who don't know, Renewal the denomination of renewal Judaism is probably the closest thing neo-Hasidism has to its own denomination 
in the mm-hmm. modern world. Before we dive into a whole bunch of questions about neo-Hasidism, I kind of want to ask you, like, how do you think of neo-Hasidism, like, for yourself? Like, how do mm-hmm. you conceive of it? And what is its relationship to, I guess, what we might call paleo-Hasidism? <laughs> yeah. So, first off, in a conversation about neo-Hasidism, I want to note that I just saw that Matrix 4 is in the works, and Neo, Ugh. and I make a lot of Matrix jokes when talking about neo-Hasidism for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Very topical. I will refrain as much as possible, but just- In honor. For, in honor of the forthcoming Matrix film. Yes, yes. Uh, but so, folks who really loved those first two Matrix sequels, who I don't know if those people exist, but- there's another one coming. The first yeah. Matrix I do enjoy. I mean, I feel like now that Lana has had time to come out of the closet and assert mm. her own identity, it's going to be a whole new ball game. Anyway, totally. that's a whole... The discussion of the new Matrix movies is not in the purview. I do think we could make some connections between neo Hasidism and the Matrix. Also, probably Star Wars, but I will, will, that'll be, right. you know... We'll see. We'll see what comes up. So, neo Hasidism, my relationship to neo-Hasidism. Yeah, I agree with what you said about like renewal, the denomination that I was ordained through being a kind of home base for neo-Hasidism. Neo-Hasidism is weird. I feel like most isms or a lot of isms, they have a sort of generally understood definition and then people sort of adhere to them or don't adhere to them. Neo-Hasidism, I feel like it sort of takes whatever form individual people who call themselves Neo-Hasids, whatever they do, because it's very new. It's like a few generations old in any kind of real sense. And so I'm going to give my best sort of set of definitions in this episode, but with the big caveat that like really Neo-Hasidism or Jewish renewal is sort of the set of things that people calling themselves that do, which is the worst definition ever. Right. It's whatever you need it to be. Yes. Oh, what a what a nice renewal way to put it. Um. Okay, so my <laughs> relationship to neo-Hasidism. Yes, I am ordained as a rabbi, rabbi through the Jewish renewal movement. And relevant to that fact is that when I was ordained, we like read out a lineage. Mm-hmm. And it starts from the text Pirkei Avot, um, the ethics of our ancestors versus of our sages, whatever we want to translate it as. And Mm -hmm. it starts, okay, and Moses got this wisdom and Joshua, and then there's all these layers of people. And then it eventually gets to the rabbis. Mm -hmm. And then our lineage that I was ordained through, it sort of continues on. And it says, you know, and there were rabbis of this stage in Jewish history and then this stage. And then there's this guy, the Baal Shem Tov. So if you talked about Hasidism in other episodes, you talked about the Baal Shem Tov. Oh, yeah. We talked a lot about the Besht. And my lineage, as Jewish renewal understands it, is sort of a branch off the tree of the Baal Shem Tov. Mm. It's many layers distant from Mm -hmm. that because that's a few hundred years ago. But that's an important thing to name. And it's also a confusing thing to name. Because like when I first heard the word Hasidic or Hasidism, it was actually in my school, which was not a Jewish school. Mm-hmm. And we were reading The Chosen, the book oh. by Chaim Potok. Sort of a key thing in the book is there are two main characters. One of them is part of a Hasidic family. His dad's like the Tzadik, sort of the main rabbi of a Hasidic community. And the other guy is also a pretty religious Jew, but he's not Hasidic. He's, Mm -hmm. I don't know, we might call him modern Orthodox today or something. But what I was taught Hasidic meant was like strict or observant in the most stringent traditional kinds of sense. And most neo-Hasids do not resemble the kind of Jewish observance that most 
Chassids do in the sense of living in insular communities, wearing very rigid kinds of clothing, observing not only sort of Jewish law, but a, a very detailed set of particular customs that dictate you know, a lot of the minute by minute flow of your life. Right. Neo-Hasidism is, I mean, the story of it in Jewish renewal is basically that there were a few key people in the 20th century, one of them being Zalman Shachter Shalomi, who's sort of the founder of my movement. Right. He's sort of like the missing link between Paleo-Hasidism and Neo-Hasidism. Right. Yeah. He grew up in a, I like Paleo-Hasidism, in a Paleo-Hasidic <laughs> Yeah. I'm community. pretty committed to that term, honestly. All about it. Um, as long as it's not like Hasids who keep to a Paleo diet. I don't want to just call it Hasidism. That's like, feels wrong to call one of them like Mm. Hasidism, like different Hasidism and normal Hasidism. <laughs> that really resonates with me because I do actually, like, I think of myself more as a Hasid personally than I do as like a neo Hasid. Mm-hmm. And I just define it differently from how most people do. Right. So, Zalman, yeah, what you're hinting at with him being the link, like, he grew up in a paleo Hasidic environment. Um, mm-hmm. He was in Europe initially, and then he came to the US, and he didn't grow up in Chabad, but he became part of Chabad, a large Hasidic group in the US. And he was one of its very first people. People now know Chabad does this all over the place, but they started in the mid 20th century, this program basically where they would send out young Jews, Mm -hmm. young Chabad Jews to like preach the good word of Chabad Judaism to the masses. And Zalman Shachter Shalomi and also Shlomo Karlbach, who I'm going to not go too deep into him right. for that's a variety a, of reasons. That's an episode uh, all its own. Yeah. Um, there's too much to go down that road there. Suffice to say, he's not somebody I relate to in the same way I relate to Reb Zalman, who is in many ways my my Rebbe, my, mm-hmm. my movement's Rebbe. But so Zalman was part of a Paleo-Hasidic community. I would say he left, but it's actually sort of, they mutually parted ways because while Zalman was still identifying as a Chabad Jew and wandering around teaching Jewish stuff to people, he connected with of all things, the counterculture, the 60s counterculture, and specifically to LSD. Mm-hmm. And he actually tripped with Timothy Leary. And like he started, while still Chabad, while still like a very traditional Jew, right. preaching publicly about why LSD is like a wonderful spiritual tool. And Chabad wasn't really on board with that. And they sort of mutually parted. But he never saw himself as becoming not Hasidic. Right. I mean, I've read a lot about him and also in this sort of classic book, The Jew and the Lotus, which is about the Jewish delegation to the Dalai Lama. Reb Zalman was a part of that delegation, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff about his practices and self-conception in that while he was on that delegation. And it definitely seems like he was like, I'm just doing I'm just doing to him, he was probably just keeping doing Hasidism, you know, and later we came up with all these labels. Yeah. And I think there's ways in which he's right. But I also do think as much as I would like to just own the term Hasid, there is a reason why it gets a new term, right? Like Mm -hmm. you get this fusion of things in the mid 20th century that when I explain it to people, they really, it takes a little while to understand how these would sort of be wedded into one philosophical system. But you, you take Hasidic Judaism and what some would call like I don't know, the original intent of Hasidic Judaism, which you probably talked right. about, like this this spiritual kind of deep connection to the divine, mm-hmm. um, and also a conception of the divine. People don't realize how old this is. It's not just like new age. A conception of the divine that is not necessarily 
God as ruler figure separate from me as creator, but instead God as a kind of pantheistic or panentheistic, like God as sort of sum total of all existence. People say that now and they assume it's this very woo-woo thing of recent generations to say, but there's actually a lot of Hasidic literature for multiple centuries at this point that talks about God through the language of like us being part of God, not God being separate from us. Right. And even before the Besht freaking Spinoza, his definition was God was the sum of all natural causes. So he was sort of exiled from the Jewish community. But later on, I guess that little philosophy found a way to come back. I want a word that's the opposite of exile, like exoskeleton, endoskeleton. Like I'm, right. I want to endo, endozile in-dial. Spinoza, indial, butt dial. I don't know. I, I want Baruch <laughs> Spinoza to be back in Mm-hmm. He's a hero of mine. And and what's funny is there's lots of things I say that I think are transgressive and heretical or whatever, and I right. enjoy doing that. I don't I don't I don't think that it's that heretical to be a Spinoza follower today, much as no, that would have definitely not. Like he was a theist. He did mm-hmm. identify as somebody who believed in God. And what's funny is in my rabbinical school, when we learned like modern Jewish thought, Spinoza was a key figure mm-hmm. in how we approached it. And it wasn't like here's a guy not to follow. It was, oh, here's right. somebody alongside Martin Buber and a lot of other white dudes mm-hmm. that we learned about and a couple women that were thrown in at the end. That class was a whole barrel of stuff. But like, I think that pantheism, panentheism, the idea that we are collectively part of a some whole that we might call God, or that at the very least is all of existence, that we're not separate from one another. That's a core conception I find in neo-Hasidism especially, but in all of the Hasidisms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, I think that's a really good connecting thread. And also talking about that sort of like, I guess we could even say like ancient part of neo-Hasidism has me thinking about I don't know, just in my experience of neo-Hasidism as it exists in the world today, it feels like a movement that's still very much finding its way and finding its place. There are quite a few practices that are quite new that are part of neo-Hasidism, something like eco-cashroot, right? That's a pretty popular concept within eco-Hasidism. And sometimes it feels like I mean, it feels weird to refer to myself as outside neo-Hasidism because mm-hmm. it's probably the closest I am to anything, but Sometimes some of those newer practices feel like, "Mm, I don't know if this is going to continue to be a defining piece of the denomination for the years Mm -hmm. to come. So in that way, I guess it's sort of at a disadvantage compared to Paleo-Hasidism because it is still very much, you know, almost in its infancy as a movement. Yeah. So I do think that it's a disadvantage in many ways. I think it's also the most exciting place to be ever. There were a bunch of reasons why I felt drawn to Jewish renewal. Mm Mm-hmm including like some of the literal theological ideas of Zalman. But it's a really exciting thing to be part of something that is unclear and ambiguous Mm -hmm. because you then get to help define it by definition. And so I think that like whatever people call neo-Hasidism now, I'm more confident in 50 years that that will be super different than I am about most other isms. Mm -hmm. And that's an empowering thing for everybody who's a neo-Hasid. Now, I also think there's a way in which neo-Hasidism, by being an ism, like I think most people doing it or a lot of people doing it may not realize they're doing it. And I actually think that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. so, I, And what I mean by that is there's a lot of ways in which the practices, the ideas of 
neo-Hasidic people. So Zalman and then a lot of his students have become pretty prominent. People like Shefa Gold, whose chant mechanisms have become really popular in a lot of settings. I mean, even Art Green was a close friend of Zalman and he has Hebrew College that he's the leader of and all of Hebrew College's students. And mm-hmm. there's, you could draw a tree of very prominent rabbis today that some people know are neo Hasidic, right? But most people are like, oh, that's just like a cool rabbi who might be doing interfaith work, you know, connecting what they do to Buddhism or something. Like, it might right. be people that are involved in justice struggles, like an Arthur Waskow, who is a neo Hasid. I don't think when people talk about Arthur Waskow, they lead with, he's a neo Hasid. Mm-hmm. But like, he is. And that's clear when you read his writing. Uh, by, by the way, Arthur Waskow being like one of the folks associated with Eco Kashrut that you mentioned, and somebody who's out there on the front lines of a lot of important Jewish justice movements. Right. The borders of neo-Hasidism are pretty porous. Yeah. I don't know. I said already that it's an exciting place to be, but like, I think that it's a weird and wild and unstructured place to be, which is exciting. And it's also complicated because there are people in a system that hasn't been defined. There are people that rise to the top of various hierarchies. And, and I'm, you know, we mentioned Shlomo Kalbach for two seconds, but like without talking about him in particular, there are ways in which Hasidic movements generally, but even neo-Hasidic movements, which try to thrust aside some of the regressive structures of Hasidism, there are ways in which they still lend themselves to people abusing power because there is this serious deep kind of individual spirituality with God. And you often build these very intense kinds of relationships with other people that are doing that. And if you have a Rebbe, if you have somebody who is like your teacher and you trust them to an extent that you might not trust almost anybody in the world, they can manipulate that if they do. Part of why that happens sort of universally is as long as neo-Hasidism is sort of a system operating within a world where abuse of power is sort of like the norm by which the world is organized, meaning like capitalism, racial Mm -hmm. capitalism, incarceration, all that stuff. Like as long as our society is organized in that way, in my opinion, you're not going to reach any kind of organization or denomination that can be sort of free of that dynamic until all of society is transformed. Yeah, and I agree with that. What I'm getting at is I think even alongside all the ways in which all of our systems, when we're working with capitalism, have those challenges, I think there's a ways in which this model heightens the dangers. And I'm not saying that to make people like not want to be neo-Hasids, but I think there's a relationship between student and teacher mm-hmm. that manifests both in Hasidic communities and in neo-Hasidic communities a lot of the time, although to a lesser extent in neo-Hasidic communities, I should say, that is layered mm-hmm. and complicated. I want it to be clear to everybody that like, I'm not only here to like pitch neo-Hasidism as much as I do think of myself through lenses of neo-Hasidism. I want to name some of the challenges that it faces too. I'm thinking now about Something that the Baal Shem Tov sort of famously said, which is that Hasidism could never have happened without the Vilna Gaon, which is <laughs> the Vilna is this guy, this rabbi, Elijah bin Solomon Zalman, who was hanging out in the same area where Hasidism was coming about, who was the leader of sort of the anti Hasid movement, the mm-hmm. Misnagdic movement. What the Baal Shem Tov was sort of saying there is that. Because they had this scrutiny and this sort of opposite pressure against their movement, he felt 
at least, you know, whatever, whoever made this quote, whether it's from him or not, felt like that sort of opposition inspired them to make sure that they were like really on point with mm-hmm. all of their shit, all of their observance, all of their leadership structures and stuff. And so they could have never succeeded without that. And I'm not sure, but I wonder if the sort of different way our world operates today, where neo Hasidism doesn't necessarily have that level of scrutiny being directed mm-hmm. at it in some way informs how this process is unfolding. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, first off, my my family, like my great, great, great grandfather, that's like my father's father's father. So like where my my name that I was born with, Rofus, came mm-hmm. from, they were in Vilna. And mm-hmm. so I've spent far too much time in my life thinking to myself, huh, I wonder if my family in Vilna was on team Vilna Gaon or mm-hmm. team Chassid. And by the way, like they could have been split. Into, like I have no idea. And there, I don't think there's any way for me to find that out. And there's parts of me that I actually, I, like I, the Vilna Gaon, I'm not here to like trash misnagdic Judaism. I actually think mm-hmm. that there, it's not clear to me where I'd be in those debates from a few hundred years ago. So I think that's true that there's a way in which having a foil really pushing on you helps both to define what you are and to like grow in the way that Chassidism grew. The way neo-Hasidism works now, I don't know, it's it's not that powerful, but there's also a way in which it's kind of imperializing a lot of non-Orthodox duty. Like, like neo-Hasidism is like wading its way into reform communities and into conservative communities and into reconstructionist communities. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that's bad. I, like to use the word imperialize is to imply it's bad. I think it's mostly interesting that without people recognizing, huh, the fact that we're starting our Torah studies with a nigun, with a melody, that may be a sign of the influence of neo-Hasids who sought to up the influence of things like a nigun, a wordless melody. The fact that communities are starting to play around with heat bodadut or Jewish meditation modalities. Mm-hmm. Oh, that that traces its way back to Rabbi Nachman, who's a Hasid, and it traces its way through people who are neo-Hasids. We could go down the list of the eco-kosher thing, like the mindful eating stuff. Like there's all these things that have been sort of originated by individual neo-Hasids or communities of neo-Hasids and then have grown. And I think often there's this sadness by Jewish renewal folks or others that like, oh, we never get the credit. Like we come up mm-hmm. with these cool things. But I actually think it's a sign of success, not of defeat when people don't even know that they're being influenced by what you've done. And I I think that we too often need to be thanked for what we contribute to the Jewish world. And so I look out at, at an ecosystem where a lot of these approaches that are about building sacred individual kinds of relationship with things that are holy, whether that's like the divine, or at the very least, sometimes it's with text today, which starts mm-hmm. to blur the line between Hasid and Misnagid. Right. Um, but like, I don't know. I, th- I think it's exciting how prominent neo-Hasidism actually is right now, despite the fact that if you asked almost all Jews on the street, what is neo-Hasidism, like they wouldn't have any anchor point. Right. I mean, I think neo-Hasidism has become almost completely identified with like progressivism within Mm -hmm. Judaism, you know, like those two are almost one in the same at this point. And I think part of that is because, you know, neo-Hasidism came out of the counterculture of the 60s. And I think our culture is going through a very similar 
movement where people are very attracted to those similar spiritual ideas mm-hmm. that were around in that countercultural period. At the same time, also in other sort of fringe groups, I feel like there's already starting to be a what we might call a counter reformation <laughs> against neo Hasidism. I think, you know, here in ye old queer Talmud world, there's, I feel like almost a certain energy that's pushing back on practices and attitudes that people identify with neo-Hasidism. And I mean, I think in that sense, I am like a modern Misnagid because I love a lot of things that the Misnagdim really loved. You know, I love dry text study and stuff like that. And I really struggle with a lot of the, what I'm just going to call woo Mm-hmm. of neo-Hasidism. I don't know. I think, you know, the borders, like you said, between Hasid and Misnagid are being dissolved even yeah. like in a in our modern context. We should talk about the Wu for a second, because I think when we talk about neo-Hasidism, we're definitely talking about Wu. Let's talk about the Wu, people. What's interesting is, I think, I, I don't know how people would describe me, right? But like in the world of Jewish renewal, where there's a lot of different kinds of people, I think people would look at me and say, like, Lex isn't particularly woo. Yeah, you're lesser woo, in my opinion. Right. But what's funny is, if we were to talk about things I believe, things I think about God and the Mm -hmm. world, like, I actually think that you and I and the microphone in front of me and the table I'm sitting in front of and the grass outside, like, I actually do, in fact, think we are part of a oneness, like, Mm -hmm. which it's impossible to say that and not sound woo. But for me, it comes from actually like a pretty rationalist place, not a mystical place. It comes from like, just how I experience other people. I don't see myself as like having so much one self that is discrete from other people. Mm -hmm. But I experience myself as being different selves with different people. And what I would say is that reflects that I am, in fact, different around different groups of people, and I'm different in different contexts. And what that reflects is that I'm not just acting different. I actually am a, a different thing when I am surrounding myself with certain other things. And because it's changing who I am, that means that I'm also changing what it is. We're part of this one wholeness. Uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Very woo, fundamentally. Yeah, it, it is woo. But I guess like the woo really, I think, a lot of the time points to aesthetics. Mm-hmm. People wear a lot of bright, colorful clothing in many (laughs) neo-Hasidic communities. Yes, a lot of like flowy, flowy, various flowy things. Yeah, what's funny is I wear, like I wear, you know, pink and yellow and purple and whatever color kippahs all the time. I wear a lot of colors, but I like, there's something about, I also wear like polo shirts and basic, but like I'm not that interesting Mm -hmm. in what I wear. You're very butch. Yeah, exactly. And so people then see me as not that, Woo, And then I think they're surprised when I say some of the theological things I think, because they think that the folks who think that are the folks wearing the flowy clothes and the mm-hmm. folks like sort of looking a certain way. And I don't know, I think neo-Hasidism as a word, if it's going to be helpful, it can't really refer to an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And and I say that both, it's not helpful to people who identify as neo-Hasids, but it's also not helpful to people that really want to disagree with neo Like if you actually right. don't like neo-Hasidism, express your issues with pantheism. I, by the way, I use right. pantheism and mm-hmm. not panentheism, which is sort of a softer term that feels less radical to some of Like I actually mm-hmm. 
think of myself as a pantheist like Spinoza. Look at you sh- shabbatying out over there. I'm totally shabbatying. Um, shabbatai <laughs> shabbatai strikes me as a chassid, which is anachronistic. Yeah, I mean, IMHO, she was the ultimate chassid. <laughs> she put everyone else to shame. Like, we are still hundreds of years later trying to live up to her iconic chassidism. Without a doubt. That that's clear. Like um, marrying the Torah? Come on. Who else <laughs> who else has even approached like that level, you know? Yeah. So we're on the same page there. If we're talking about neo-Hasidism and if we're talking about Jewish renewal, we need to actually talk about what it is and what people in it think. I think the reason we don't is that there's more unifying the set of things that people do in neo-Hasidic communities. There's a large group of folks that for example, connect psychedelics and Judaism through mm-hmm. and, and understand themselves as neo-Hasidic. There's a large group of people who connect meditation practices and Judaism. There's a large group of people who, when they're davening, when they're praying, they orient in specific kinds of formations, in circles as opposed to in rows. They're focused on a certain kind of spiritual soaring that I feel excited by, energized by. Like We could go down the list. That's not ah, this set of people think that God is X, Y, or Z. And I think more and more, there's actually not anything unifying people in Jewish renewal spaces, like what they think. For a while, mm-hmm. it was, this is a set of people who are followers of Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, who had a certain set of chiddishes, like new ideas in the Jewish world, mm-hmm. stuff related to the Gaia hypothesis, stuff related to eco-kashrut, stuff related to feminism, a variety of things. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there's some people that are into that particular figure, and there's other people who don't focus on Reb Zalman and are just interested in this growing Jewish world of intense meaning-making that is neo Hasidism. Mm-hmm. And so I actually do think there's a deep, compelling set of conversations to have about whether the claims around God that neo Hasidism, or at least many neo Hasids make, are worthwhile claims or not. I think that they're not happening so much. And the debates that we have are like, well, would I want to be part of a community that's like wearing the flowy clothes and like orienting in a circle, or would I rather be in rows? Mm-hmm. Do I want to be singing songs that feel flowery? Because that's something that Jewish renewal does too. Like there's different kinds of language. And do I want to be chanting Torah with Hebrew and English? Or do I feel like I should be staying to the Hebrew? Do I, like, mm-hmm. And I don't know, those are good. Like I have all of those conversations, but I actually think that the world would be served if people thought, for a while about whether God is a being separate from us that created us, that rules us, or if whether it's God or not, we are part of one collective whole, mm-hmm. WH, but also maybe the one with an H at the beginning. I don't know. That's a, that's a worthwhile conversation. And I would invite people to sit with that, even as we sort of go through the practical questions of like, which synagogue would I join? The one mm-hmm. using this prayer book with people who dress this way or this other one. Part of me wonders if what the real next thing in Judaism is going to be is some kind of resolution of this dialectic, a sort of gestalt between like the text revival that's happening now and neo-Hasidism, mm-hmm. if they're going to like find some new, you know, way to to exist greater than some of their parts. I hope so. I mean, the biggest thing that's growing right now is not Hasidism and it's not misnagdism it's like jewish nerddom <laughs> yeah and i love that as 
unquestionably by anybody who's ever met me, Jewish and a nerd. Mm-hmm. So like there's a, a spiritual thing happening. There's like a depth of meaning making that's happening through people learning stuff. Right. And that sounds more like what the Vilna Gaon was about and like what those kinds of people are about. But like people are starting off their Talmud study not always, but a lot of people with, you know, singing a Hasidic nigun right. or or orienting in a specific way or pausing, having deep breaths, doing some woo-woo flowery kinds of, like, like whatever it is, there's a thing happening where we're merging those. And I'm all, I'm all for that. Like, I, what's funny is I don't do a lot of Talmud study, like specifically Gemara, right. but I do do a lot of nerdy study of Jewish things, including traditional texts, some less traditional texts. And I think that there's something new happening. And I also think it's it's happening differently on the land we live on in the United States, Turtle Island, than it is mm-hmm. in other places. That prognostication feels like as good a place to end the episode as any. Do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, I do. Um, so on the Jewish nerd front, I am teaching my first semester-long course this fall, and I'm excited about that. And it's related in certain ways to what we're talking about, but it's going to be called Jewish Discontinuity. And you can find out more about it on my organization's website, judaismunbound.com. There's a button that says Unyeshiva, UN, like Unbound Yeshiva, but it's called the Unyeshiva. Yeah, I'm going to be teaching a class that opens up some questions about how we tell the story of Jewish history and how we might empower ourselves not only to sort of be continuers of Jewish tradition, but actually like upenders of it in certain ways, very much in the Shabbatai Tzvi spirit, um, Shabbatai spirit. Um, so if you're interested in that. Smells like shoot, Thai spirit. Me, you know. Smells like Thai spirit. Awesome. Everyone go take Lex's course at the Judaism Unbound on Yeshiva. Next week, we have our episode on X-Men coming out, which is going to be super dope. And I think I'm going to start streaming Animal Crossing soon. So get ready for that totally different project. But I feel like I talk about it so much on the show that it like has to go off and become its own thing. Otherwise, this will be like a 10% Animal Crossing podcast. And I don't think y'all are ready for that. We will see you all in the funny paper. Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov.